I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is episode 27 of The Milkman of St. Gaffs, an absurdist horror podcast. I'd like to give a shout-out to our new patron, Apprentice Emmy Lala. Thank you very much for your support. I'd also like to mention that the transcripts for all episodes are now in the show notes at howiemilkman.com. I've also brought these all together with a map and made them into a book simply called The Milkman of St. Gaffs, and it's available on Amazon. So if you have any friends who might like the story but don't listen to podcasts, the book might be a fun idea. And with that, let's get to the episode. This one's called The Cows. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gav's, starring Howie the Milkman. The great fish rose from the sea and eclipsed us in its shadow. It came up head first, and then did the most magnificent flip in the air, its tail blocking out the sun. Time slowed right down as I watched with my mouth all agape. The first thought that shot through my mind was that I couldn't believe that I'd actually summoned something, since, to tell you the truth, in the back of my head, I thought maybe Naomi hadn't been telling me the truth. My next thought was that the whale was really big and that it was going to crash down right where I was standing, so I turned and ran. 
And sure enough, with a big horrible crash, the beast smashed down on the wharf. I turned to see the hideous sight. The whale, which was definitely not a glowing green phalaena whale, was in its death throes, writhing horribly. Its skin was all cracked, like an orange someone stepped on and stuff was oozing out. Everyone on the wharf was watching, stunned. Granard was standing pretty close to me. He looked stunned too, but then he looked angry. The whale had landed right on his fish stand. Everything after that was a bit confusing. The man in the tweed jacket, who I learned later was Professor Lammy from Mingsbite University, was asking me about how I'd done that, but I was pretty dazed and trying to figure out what had happened, so I didn't really hear him. I dropped the stick on the ground, and while the professor was still talking at me, my neighbor picked it up and walked off. Then the guys in black were pointing at me and walking over. Most everyone else was just looking at the dead whale. What did you do? A geology man was asking me. Hey, how'd you do that? We should take him in. I was still pretty confused and didn't really know what to say. Then I came to my senses a bit and remembered. This was my destiny, and this is what I had wanted to happen. I called the whale, I'm a seeker. The men looked at each other. You gut-founded, scoffing sack of- Granard overheard what I said and lunged at me with both his hands, like he was going to strangle me, but the geologists pushed him back. Let's get him out of here, come on. One grabbed me under the arm and started walking me away from everyone else. The professor was following. Excuse me, I'd like a word with... Back, please. I just wanted... Back. The professor backed off, and the men from the geological survey walked me pretty fast up into the town. Am I in trouble? He said nothing. A few people were following at a distance, but they didn't dare get too close. They brought me to the hotel, and I thought we were going to go to a room. But instead, we went down some stairs to the boiler room... It was dark and dingy, with huge, rusty machines humming away. There were desks set up down there, and there were a few people working, writing things down, with boxes of paper all around. Everyone looked up when we came in. They pointed to a chair, and I sat down and tried to collect up my thoughts. All the men, about eight when I counted them, huddled together in another part of the room, Then the guy I supposed was the boss, because he had thick, black-rimmed glasses on, came over and pulled up a chair in front of me. He was staring hard at me. Not in an unfriendly way, but just the way you'd stare at a frog you were about to dissect in high school. Not that I ever got that far. What's your name, son? Howie Coxwell, sir. Oh, you don't have to call me sir. We're just having a friendly little chat. My name's Mr. Jenke, with the National Geological Survey. You've probably seen us around investigating that big old geyser. The geyser, that was me too. He looked a bit confused and went on. So my colleagues over there, they tell me you were out at the harbor today and something mighty strange happened. Care to tell me about it? I realized, with horror, that it was now I who was being interrogated, and I had to think as quickly as I could about what to say. I didn't think I'd done anything wrong exactly, but when I reflected a bit, I meant to show everyone what I could do, even though I didn't know that I could actually do it. But on the other hand, how about it, son? Cat got your tongue? He interrupted me right in the middle of my thinking. 
One of the other men came over and stood behind Mr. Jenke. Like I said, my name's Howie and I'm a milkman here in St. Gaff's. When I said that, Mr. Jenke looked over his shoulder at the other guy, and I thought I detected a bit of worry flashing across both their faces. I wasn't wearing my uniform, remember? And then the smile returned. Okay, so you're a milkman. What we're wanting to know about, though, is that whale. I'd calmed down a bit and decided that now was my chance to shine the way I always knew I should. Like I told the other guy, I'm a seeker and I called the whale myself. You're a seeker and you called the whale. That's right. Uh, And could you tell me exactly how you called the whale? I sat up in my chair. There are certain incantations that us seekers know, and we can call up the whales whenever we want. Certain incantations. That's right. To tell you the truth, I was hoping for a Felena, one of the green whales with the glowing bones you see in church, but I was probably just a little off with one or two of the words. Mr. Jenke gave me a weird look and stood up. I guess maybe he was a bit nervous to find out who he was dealing with. Just then there was a loud banging on the door and in burst Beaver and Frank. Beaver saw me and shouted, Hey, back off, he's a milkman. Mr. Jenke turned to them. Whoa, fellas, we're just having a friendly chat here. The other geologists came over and trying to look intimidating, but Beaver stared them down. Back off, you lot. Then Frank walked over and helped me up. The chat's over. Howie here is an asset of ours, and he's not permitted to talk to anyone about his activities. Jenky couldn't help but blurt out, You mean he's really... Any more questions you've got? You can ask Mr. Corwin down at the station. And with that, we left the hotel. Frank and Beaver didn't say much, but they brought me to Mr. Corwin. So you were at the harbor and a whale jumped out? Yes, sir. And you had something to do with it? I think so, sir. Just a coincidence, I'm sure. So that was going to be our cover story. Smart. Very smart. Yes, sir. Coincidence it is, sir. And don't speak to anyone from the geological survey. The department doesn't see eye to eye with them on what goes on underground. We don't want you blurting out something you're not supposed to. Of course not, sir. And what should I do from now on? What do you mean? My duties? You'll do your rounds, of course. Why are you asking? So, he wanted to play it that way. That made sense. Mr. Corwin had it all figured out. I couldn't wait to hear what Travis and Naomi thought about what I'd done. I drove out to their place extra fast Monday morning. Morning, Travis. Hi, Naomi. Morning, Howie. So did you hear? I don't think so. I summoned a whale yesterday at the harbor. You really didn't hear? Sure, Howie. No, we've been here all day yesterday. No, I really did. Don't get mad, but Naomi told me how to do it. With the stick? Travis gave Naomi an angry and perplexed look. He's pulling your leg, Dad. I was joking around and told him he could say some silly words and a whale would appear. I didn't think he'd actually try it. I guess Naomi was really worried her dad was going to be mad for telling the secret. Well, it worked, I said. They still seemed to be confused, like they didn't believe me. But they'd find out soon enough. Driving back, 
I kept wondering how my life was going to change. One day soon, I knew, I might not be driving out along the coast road every morning and watching the sunrise. It hit me that these were my golden years, the days I'd always look back on fondly. The days when I was like a ship being launched out to sea. Before too long, this was a story I'd be telling my grandkids in a big house somewhere, about meeting Travis and Naomi and learning about my true destiny. I did my rounds that day as usual, thinking all the while about how delivering milk on the island would soon be a thing of the past. And I didn't have to wait too long, since soon after, things started getting weird. There was still a bunch of people who'd been in town to look at the geyser, but before too long, they started to come see me. At first, it was just a trickle of people who'd heard about what had happened. A couple of days after the whale incident, I parked my truck as usual after my rounds, and as soon as I left the station, there were two men waiting for me, one with a pencil behind his ear and a notepad who wanted to talk to me. The other guy was carrying around a big contraption that I learned later was a camera. Hey, are you any chance Howie the Milkman? Yes. I'm Peter, Peter from the Taulaw Runner. How are you doing today? The Taulaw Runner? I love Eliza Pike. Yeah, we don't run those anymore. Listen, I wanted to ask you, did you ever meet her? Meet her? Eliza Pike? Uh, you mean the writer? I think she just sent the stories in. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, anyways, listen, I wanted to talk to you about the whale. I tried to answer his questions as best I could, and they followed me all the way home. But then Pencil Ears asked me if I could do it again. I don't have my stick. Can you get it? We'd love to see you in action. Also, I only do it when I have a real need, not just whenever anyone wants, like some trick. Sorry, of, of course. Then the other guy spoke for the first time. Hey, Howie, how about we go down to the harbor where the whale is for a picture? I thought about this. You mean for the Taulaw Runner, I'll have my picture in there? For sure. So down we went. He set up the camera and wanted to get a picture of me beside the whale. Now, the whale had been mostly cleaned up by this point, but the skeleton with some bits of flesh still hanging off was still there. And I think they were leaving it there as a kind of tourist attraction. It really stank and I didn't want to stand next to the carcass. But for the sake of immortality, I smiled and stood there and waited for him to be done taking the picture. They tried to convince me again to call another whale or do some other trick, but I refused. At first it was nice to have the newspaper men asking me all these questions, but after the next issue of the Taulaw Runner came out, things started getting really out of control. All sorts of reporters and assorted weirdos started following me around, and they were really determined. The geological guys kept their distance for the moment until, well, I'll have to tell you about that later. Of course, I got the issue of the Taulaw Runner, and there, to my utter astonishment, there was me, on the cover, standing beside the whale bones. I'd seen myself in a mirror when I was washing up, but never a photograph of myself. The headline of the article was, Return of the Seekers? Did Howie the Milkman summon a whale on the island of St. Gaffs? I was dismayed at some of the things they said in the article, though. It was short, since they wanted to publish it before anyone else. 
It just said that there were many believable eyewitnesses to the event, and that even though it seemed impossible that I was really a seeker since I just seemed like an ordinary guy, there was as yet no rational explanation for what had happened. But like I said, that was enough to get a lot more reporters and other kinds of people to start coming to the island to try to talk to me. Mr. Corwin insisted that I keep doing my rounds, since I was a milkman after all, but pretty soon this all started getting pretty exhausting. And one night, not long after, something really strange happened. I had some cold sausage and beans for dinner, and I was happy to be alone for a bit in my room. I was going to settle down and read the new serial in the Taula Runner, Ginger Cedric, Murder Mysteries, but it was just about regular murders and not nearly as fun as Eliza Pike. So I went to look out the window and started thinking about things like I usually do, just watching the stars reflecting on the sea and the waves in the harbor, when someone took a shot at my window. There was a distant bang, and my window pretty much exploded into big shards. Before I knew what was happening, I was on the floor with a glass all over me. I wasn't hurt, but it was pretty scary. Then I got up with my heart pounding. I looked out, but didn't see anyone. Mrs. Summertag was very annoyed at having to fix the window, but it's not like I shot it myself. We decided to just leave the bullet hole on the ceiling where it was. After that, I was always a bit nervous to stand by the window at night. It's a shame because I like thinking about things. One time I came home and some woman reporter was in my room. Hi, how are you, right? She was just standing there looking at the picture I'd cut out from the magazine on the wall. She'd snuck in and was trying to be really charming, but honestly, it freaked me out. I told her to leave after a while, and I told myself that I'd better lock the door from now on. A few of these reporters figured out my route and started asking everyone about me. I remember the first time that happened, one reporter was talking to Mrs. Noseworthy as I walked up. Oh, here he is, how he came from the mainland, but we just adopted him as one of our own. That's just the kind of welcoming spirit we islanders have. So good to see you, Howie. It was all getting pretty strange. I went to see Corwin and told him how annoying it was to have all these people waiting to pounce on me wherever I went, and that it was bound to affect my deliveries. Corwin said something to me about the whole thing blowing over, but I guess people were just bored to death reading stories about the war and wanted a more fun story and something about good old Howie the Milkman. They probably found me even more interesting, since when that woman was in my room, I sort of let it slip that I'd been in a battle to the death with a monster from underground and that I was the one who made the geyser appear. People, it turned out, were ready to believe just about anything. So anyways, Corwin turned out to be not quite right and people kept following me and it actually started really interfering with my milk deliveries. I'll admit that sometimes I stopped to talk to them. They definitely just wanted to write up one fantastical story about me after another and it was exhausting. Some just wanted to take pictures with me smiling and holding up a milk bottle, which slowed me down. One man kept pestering me and pestering me, saying that his wife was very ill and only the oil of the Felena could save her, and he got really mad when I refused to help him out. He waited for me outside my building a couple of mornings in a row, and I had to ask Beaver to get him to stop bothering me. Ooh, that guy, no problem. Professor Lammy, though, 
was different. He caught up with me a day or two after the incident and was very polite. I wonder, Mr. Coxwell, if you wouldn't mind having a little chat with me about it. I don't want to bother you on your way home. How about if we meet up for dinner? I saw a steakhouse close to the hotel. Perhaps we could meet for dinner? My treat, of course. Now this was something I couldn't pass up. So the next day, I went and met him at Stu's. I'd never been to a steakhouse before. It was all dark and full of velvet and oak. The professor had red wine and I had a cream soda. They offered me a sweet kind of tomato sauce called catsup that I poured on my steak and potatoes. It was absolutely heavenly to be eating like a rich person. The best meal of my life. And the professor wasn't like the reporters. He wasn't so blunt. He wanted to get a picture of the complete Howie Coxwell from head to toe and start to finish. So tell me, Howie, where did you grow up? County Buckle, mostly. And also in Ming's Bite, my family moved around a lot. And did you always suspect there was something special about you, or when did you find out? Oh, I could always feel that I was different than the other kids, but it did take me a while to figure out my true potential. My parents always told me there was something very special about me. And are your parents, they're still in Ming's Bite? Oh, they died in a tragic fire. Well, my dad did. I think my mom's still in Ming's Bite. He also talked about himself some, so I wouldn't feel like he was just pumping me for information. You know, I'd always wanted to visit this island. My dissertation advisor lived here, Richard Florsham. Did you ever run into him? Oh, I think so. A retired professor, I think I saw him walking around late at night sometimes. I remember hearing that he just disappeared without a trace one day. So sad. Yes, very sad. Sometimes older people can have a stroke and just wander off confused. Sure, that's probably what happened to him. Luckily, this was just about at the end of dinner, and the waiter came by wanting us to pay up. I had dinner a couple more times at Stu's Steakhouse with the professor, and I tried to be as honest as I could with him about what had happened without giving away any of the milkman's secrets. It was great to be finally living the kind of adventurous life I'd always wanted to live. It just goes to show that if you want something badly enough, you'll eventually get it. Which reminds me, in the midst of all the attention, I decided to check up on my old pal McMurtle. I sort of let myself be a bit more talkative that day, so that the reporters and assorted hangers-on some were just looky-loos who thought I was interesting, would follow me. I walked out there, to McMurdle's place, from the milk station, actually. Of course, McMurdle must have heard what had happened, and he looked like he'd just sucked on a pile of lemons when he saw me. I asked how he was, and he said he was feeling much better, and he thought he'd be ready to assume some responsibilities at the station again. He started saying something about getting a special red badge of his own pretty soon, but he didn't even sound so convinced himself. Stormy didn't say a thing. I think she was trying to look annoyed, but I could tell that she was sort of intrigued at the new and improved and now famous Howie Coxwell. I must admit, I'd been pretty disappointed when Corwin told me I had to keep doing my rounds despite my newfound celebrity status. I figured that as soon as I showed everyone my powers, I'd start getting paid a lot more and I'd be sent on important missions maybe spying on the enemy, or overseeing operations from the top floor of the department in Ming's fight. But I supposed Corwin was right. We had to play it down and keep a low profile. 
We milkmen like to work in the shadows, so to speak, and I was sure that once all these oddballs stopped following me around, my career would start moving in the right direction again. But things actually got worse career-wise. A couple of weeks after this, Corwin called me in and told me that we had to find a way to keep me out of the spotlight because it was no good having me attract so much attention. So, early the next morning, under the cover of darkness and the mysterious green stars, I got myself a milk truck and started out of town. I drove up around the Goss farm where the wolves were and found the road to Afterglay. It was just a rutted track that wasn't used much. I guess a few trucks went back and forth now and again. It was strange that I'd never noticed any of the trucks coming to the milk station from Afterglay, but Frank said they usually came in the middle of the day so no one would get suspicious. The drive out was nice. Being shorthanded, they decided to take another chance on McMurdle and let him do my route, so I had the whole day to myself to do what sounded like a pretty easy mission. I had to close down the experimental farm project. So over the hills and through the mountains I drove, and then down, down, down until I got to the little village. I didn't see anyone around, so I went into the inn. The waitress was there and one of the old guys from before. Hey, remember me? No, can't say as I do, the old guy said. I don't think so, the waitress said. I thought they were putting me on. How could neither of them remember me? Maybe I looked different because of my new station in life. That made sense. I was a take charge kind of guy now, so I decided to take charge. You. I'm a milkman and I have direct orders to shut down the farms around here. I need you to show me where all the cows are. He just looked at me with a vacant look. Hey, let's go. I don't have all day long. All right, all right. Don't get your nose hairs in a twirl. He got up very slowly, took out a pipe, and took his time lighting it. Then he pulled up his pants that were falling down. He was trying to show me he didn't need to hurry on my account. Then, okay, follow me. So I followed him. We went up the main road, then down a partly hidden trail. Eventually we came to a farmhouse. There was another old guy in a little shack there. The two geezers chatted about the weather for a while like a pair of idiots until I reminded them that I was on a mission. We went out to the field. It was all overgrown with grass and mossy rocks. But there was the cow. It was weird and thin and had menacing red eyes that glowed even in the day. We got a rope and I threw it around the cow's neck. It snapped at me and I jumped back, catching a glimpse of its sharp teeth. The two old guys chuckled at me, but I persevered and tied the rope around its neck. I tried to pull it, but the stupid animal wouldn't move. Eventually, with the old guy's help, I got the thing moving. I walked it down to the town and tied it to a post by the inn. Then we had to go to another farm. This all took a long time, actually, and was way more tiring than you'd think. In the end, we got all six of the cows from various farms. There was some watery phlogisterian mixed with milk and some canisters I mentioned about last time. We rolled these up to the milk truck and I put them in. I wasn't quite sure what I was supposed to do with them. I suggested just pouring the stuff out, but the old guy really objected. 
By the time we'd gotten all the cows down to the inn, it was about dinner time and I was starving. I'd forgotten to pack a lunch. I asked about dinner at the inn, but the waitress said they'd run out of food a few days earlier. This seemed strange, but I figured there was nothing for it but to get the mission over with and get back to town. Corwin told me there was a big raft and a bunch of cinder blocks hidden just up the coast from the main dock. So I got the old guy, who seemed to be constantly smoking cherry-flavored tobacco in his pipe, to help me find it. We pushed it out into the water, and I pulled it along to the main dock. A group of people, all the villagers, had all gathered in front of the inn to watch what I was doing. I found this very annoying, especially considering that I was supposed to be in charge here and that these were the people who tried to kill me in Granard not too long ago. I guess this was the only entertainment they'd had since then. So with a lot of effort and struggle, and a lot of chuckling from the bastards on shore, I eventually managed to get all the cows onto the raft and cinder blocks tied around their legs. And yes, I was getting good with knots by this time. And I started rowing, very slowly, out to sea. I was exhausted and sweaty and starving and couldn't wait to get out of this ridiculous place. All of this had taken me so long that the sun was going down and I was rowing right towards it. The setting sun was at my back as I rowed and in front of me, I watched the geyser in the distance get clearer and clearer as the darkness fell. The cows started lowing. The people on shore just stood and stared. When I was out to where I figured the water was deep enough and far enough from the shore, I clambered up onto the raft. It was big and didn't seem too tippy, but not being a man of the sea myself, I found the whole operation a bit scary. The first cow I chose was close to the edge of the raft. It mooed as I pushed the cinder block around its leg overboard. It scrambled to stay on the raft, but then got pulled down over the side into the water. I guess I shouldn't have been too surprised when it let out a horrible yell, but I was. And the other cows got spooked and started screaming as well. They didn't know what to do and started bolting and trying to jump. The raft tipped back and forth, and one by one the screaming cows fell into the sea. A rope got tied around my leg, and I got pulled in too. The sea was frothing red. I was in the water with the sinking, panicking cows. I felt them kicking. One's face with terrified, wide red eyes bulging was right up against my face. I tried to scream and swallow the salt water. I desperately tried to untangle my leg as I felt myself being pulled down. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.